Hello everyone, I'm Chinzia Emmerich. And I'm Ann Sullivan. And in this week's podcast, we are going to revisit and discuss Remix. Chinzia, could you start us out with just a revisit of the definition of Remix? Sure, Anne. In the Noble and Lancashire reading, they state that Remix means to take cultural artifacts and combine and manipulate them into new kinds of creative blends. And Ferguson defined it as the combination or editing of existing materials to produce something new. Chinzia, I used to only think that Remix was associated with rap and hip-hop music, and most of us only used to know Remix as it refers to music in general, but now it has taken on a much broader definition to include many other things. Essentially, anything can be Remix, as Ferguson points out, and Remix has always existed in some form. And, you know, when I first saw Kirby Ferguson's Everything is a Remix, I was really surprised by almost everything he talked about in that video. I was too, especially regarding Led Zeppelin and their plagiarizing of other people's music. I'm a big fan of Led Zeppelin, and they weren't just copying a part of a song or a chord pattern. It was an absolute ripoff of other musicians' entire songs. And I had the same reaction. In fact, I have had been a Led Zeppelin fan for many years, and that was really incredible and sad for me to find out. What I thought was this original band turned out to essentially be just a cover band to me. Just unbelievable. And it is not to discount them as great musicians or performers, because they are experts in music and performance, and Paige is a great singer. But what they did was just wrong. I completely agree. You know, as Ferguson pointed out, if they had actually attributed the songwriting to the original musicians who wrote those songs, or at least modified them enough to claim they were original, I wouldn't have had the reaction I did in finding out. I mean, I still would have been disappointed that Led Zeppelin is not completely original, but that's not to say that they are not innovative in what they did. Yes, and they did change the sound of those songs in ways that did make them sound incredible. And after seeing Kirby's video, you really do start asking yourself, what is really original anyway? Yes, and it does make you question, for example, if you accidentally copy someone else's melody because you even subliminally recalled something you heard in the background music at the dentist's office, does that count as plagiarism? Because as we learned in our class readings about remix, Everything is a remix. Our making sound comes from hearing sound, and music comes from other music, and our production of music comes from the music we have already heard in our lives. Yes, and it was interesting and quite ironic to learn that Led Zeppelin's song When the Levee Breaks was the was then sampled in later years by countless musicians, including the Beastie Boys, Eminem, and a bunch of other artists. So what they did, others eventually did to them. I know. There's really no definitive line in the sand, and because everything comes from something else, and what we make as human beings all comes from something that we saw, heard, felt, or already made. I mean, everything comes from the same source for all of us. Then the legal definitions are difficult to nail down as far as what constitutes copying. I mean, look at all the cars on the road. I am often driving and I think, wow, that Chevy looks like a Dodge, and that Jeep looks like a Range Rover. Uh, The car companies don't have a single unique idea, it seems. Everything is just borrowed from something and someone else. And Anne, I was thinking, now that you mentioned cars, when it comes down to money, companies are going to borrow anything they can. 
if they see something that another car manufacturer has that is successful and is a money generator, then they are going to try to use that. That's so true. Why spend all that money coming up with unique things, which costs money to do for research and development? Why not just borrow and change the thing a bit so it looks different enough that it is now yours? So Range Rover borrows the color scheme of Chevy, for example, and then borrows the new bumper design off of Jeep and changes it all enough that it looks like it is a brand new car concept. And they profit so greatly from that copying because they don't spend that initial money on research and development. And cell phones are looking more and more alike as well, but Apple copied everyone as Steve Jobs boasted about in an interview, and then he ended up getting mad at Android for copying Apple. Yes, and look at the art world. Even those periods outlined in art history books, artists copied each other's artistic styles, and that's why we have these periods, the Impressionist period beginning in the 1870s, Expressionism in the beginning of the 20th century. We all copy each other. Yes, and look at Andy Warhol, who faced lawsuits for copyright violations in the 1960s for for unauthorized use of photographs. He settled the claims out of court and afterwards started asking for permission before incorporating works by others into his own creations. It is amazing that someone as famous as Andy Warhol was actually sued. Um, And something else I wanted to bring up, Uh, I found it interesting when Ferguson mentioned that whenever there is a major breakthrough or invention, there's usually others that resemble that breakthrough, even if others are just slightly behind. And this is not copying. It's actually simultaneous invention and innovation. And again, because we are all building with the same materials and that same foundational knowledge. So it's not surprising that inventions and breakthroughs pop up around the same time from different people and companies. And this brings us back to what Ferguson stated in his video about creativity and the myth of creation as something that just comes to us and is almost preordained. This is a complete fallacy. Can you recite that good quote from Ferguson? Sure, Chinzia. This is a really great explanation about the act of a creation. The act of a creation is surrounded by a fog of myths, myths that creativity comes via inspiration that original creations break the mold, that they're the products of geniuses and appear as quickly as electricity can heat a filament. But creativity isn't magic. It happens by applying ordinary tools of thought to existing materials. And the soil from which we grow our creations is something we scorn and misunderstand, even though it gives us so much. And that's copying. Put simply, copying is how we learn. We can't introduce anything new until we're fluent in the language of our domain, and we do that through emulation. That's a great quote from Ferguson. I really loved that video. It was so well done and also very entertaining and extremely informative. Anne, can you think of any other examples besides design, art, or music that is a remix? One example I can think of that's not art or music is... um, There's this great restaurant in my town uh, that is a fusion of Japanese and Peruvian cuisine, and it's called Nikkei of Peru. Um, And the husband is Japanese and the wife is Peruvian, and they opened this restaurant featuring food from both countries. And even some of the dishes are actually a remix of food from both cultures. And this got me thinking about how in America, from the melting pot that we are, we have been exposed to such a remix of food from so many different parts of the world. Um, 
I even came across uh, on the internet recently a, an Italian Korean penny pasta dish that includes sesame oil and kimchi. So food is remix, and here in America and around the world, cultural food remix occurs in homes and restaurants. We remix with recipes, changing them to suit our tastes. And I was even thinking about the bread starters that are continued in a family for generations. That original yeast starter for the bread may have first begun five generations back, and the family still continues to make the bread with a remix of that original starter. And it brought me back to the Noble and Lancashire reading where they cited Lessig, arguing that cultural, uh, culture as a whole can be construed as remix. Uh, especially when we look at a country like America and all the different cultures that have mixed here with all their own cultural attributes. Even our American language is infused with words from different languages. I mean, look at the words cafe, croissant, entrepreneur, uh, glitch, schmooze, klutz, macho. Uh, and the list goes on and on. And accents also around the country are remix. That is so true about the remix of foods from different cultures and the words infused in the language from other cultures and our accents. It is amazing how many words New Yorkers use every day that are actually from other languages and how many words appear in the language from other cultures all the time. And Shinzia, something else I wanted to bring up in this podcast Um I think Ferguson's video and the readings from the Remix Week really changed my opinion of copying. I used to have a negative connotation of copying in my mind, but now I really don't. I am seeing more now that it is actually a natural evolution of everything. Even when we learn as human beings, we are learning from other human beings. We learn how to walk, to talk, to behave from watching our parents and then other people. And I completely agree with you. My idea of copying has completely changed too. I also find that the concept that everything is a remix personally quite liberating as, as an artist. It frees you to experiment with remix without the fear of being unoriginal. As an artist, it gives you more of a sense that copying is a natural part of the process. And, it, it, and isn't it the best form of flattery? That's so true. It's flattering when you're copied. That phrase is used a lot, and now I really think it's so valid. It's flattering when you're copied because obviously you have produced something that other people like and feel is worth copying. I feel differently also as an artist now um, after seeing Ferguson's video. And Ferguson had that great saying about the basic elements of creativity as being copy, transform, combine, which really sums up what the creative process really is. It's not some divine intervention or the stars suddenly aligning. It is actually a synthesis of everything we know from having learned, being used to create something new. Oh, and another thing I wanted to bring up is the state of false news today, uh, where mainstream news and other news outlets get their information from certain sources, from a variety of sources today, and this spreading of misinformation and disinformation. Um, when something that's false is passed along, it's then remixed into other news outlets, and there the, there's this endless hybridization of that false news. Yes, it's a big problem that future generations will have to deal with more and more. So much of our, our news nowadays, from both from mainstream media and on the Internet, 
is copied from something else. And many new organizations are simply remixing that information instead of diligently checking sources and making sure all of the information is fit to print and from reliable sources. That is so true. And it's become a huge problem today with the expansion of the internet and with the countless amount of news sources we have access to on television, online, on the radio, on our phones. And it's uh, amplified considerably by the amount of users there are, uh, and ease of access, and the amount of channels we're dealing with. And Anne, what do you think about what has happened legally regarding Remix with all the lawsuits? Sampling is now illegal without permission and or without paying the creator for the sound clip? Well, I think back to what Ferguson pointed out, that the plethora of lawsuits regarding intellectual property laws is actually stifling innovation. Because as Ferguson aptly pointed out, we can't introduce anything new until we are fluent in the language of our domain, and we do that through emulation. Again, we learn by copying. And this actually triggered me to think about the design thinking methodology that we studied last week. Chinzia, do you see possible complications of intellectual property law in the proper functioning of the design thinking process? Definitely. Intellectual property laws really goes against a mythology such as design thinking, which emphasizes the importance of utilizing background knowledge and relies on the use of existing ideas and inventions in order to innovate. The reuse of existing knowledge is an indispensable part of the creation of new ideas and products. That's such a good point. And, you know, I read something online that is very concerning regarding the stifling of the design thinking process by intellectual property laws. It's an article entitled Intellectual Property Issues as Constraints on Design Thinking Projects in University Settings. Because in the design thinking methodology, one starts with a beginner's mindset and explores all possibilities for for the use of the intellectual property, which can include existing innovations, existing inventions or patents. And with the emergence of stricter intellectual property laws and more lawsuits, it stifles this beginner's mindset, which should be free to explore everything, all ideas. And it's this inflexibility that's a major roadblock for the iterative process of diverging and converging of the many research techniques used in the design thinking discovery process. In addition, in a university setting, the design thinking projects usually involve four types of participants, students, local business partners, the course instructor, and the university. And each participant type has unique legal interests in the project. And each may not even be aware of the other party's interests. This reminds me of what Ferguson stated at the end of the video, that the belief in intellectual property has grown so dominant that it's pushed the original intent of copyrights and patents out of the public consciousness. The Copyright Act of 1790 was supposed to be for the encouragement of learning, and its intent was to better the lives of everyone by incentivizing creativity and producing a rich public domain, a shared pool of knowledge open to all. And it's this open pool of knowledge which is necessary for methodology like design thinking to run effectively. Yes, it is amazing how intellectual property laws have changed since then, because the Copyright Act of 1790 had good intentions in mind and was enacted to advance society with that shared pool of knowledge for the common good of all human beings. Even the fact that companies are buying patents just to stifle the technology for their own profits is both financially and ethically wrong. 
ExxonMobil has bought the patents of countless alternative energy inventions just so we remain reliant on oil? Imagine what other people and companies have stifled. We need a law enacted to make the ownership of ideas illegal. And I can also add genetic material to this as well. It should be illegal to own any constituent parts of human beings' bodies, like genetic material, the heart, etc. Someone someday will probably find out how to create a human heart from scratch, and no one should own that. And again, you should not be able to patent ideas. Definitely, you should not be able to own ideas. And I'd love for us to end with a quote by Ferguson. We live in an age with daunting problems. Maybe the best idea is possible. We need them now. We need them to spread fast. The common good is a meme that was overwhelmed by intellectual property. It needs to spread again. If the meme prospers, our laws, our norms, our society, they all transform. That's social evolution, and it's not up to governments or corporations or lawyers. It's up to us. I love that quote, and it's so very poignant what he wrote, a real lesson for the future. Well, this is all we have time for this week. Thank you for listening to us talk about Remix, and we hope you enjoyed our podcast. 